Well, good morning, church. Hope you're all doing well today. If you have your Bibles, grab those and get to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, there's a black one in the seat back in front of you. Open it and get to page 1056 so you can join us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning. And of all mornings, every morning it's important that you're there with us, but we're going to talk about why it's important that you're there with us this morning. I want to greet each and every one of you before I uh, get into this. I want to extend an invitation to let you know of a slight schedule change. Every uh, Monday morning for the last several months, I've been at uh, Little Bear uh, Coffee uh, hosting sort of a pastoral open house, right? You can come for whatever reason you want to come. If you have a question, you just want to get to know uh, me or some of the staff better, if you want to yell at me about the, the previous day's sermon, just come on out, right? And uh, we've been doing it uh, every Monday from 8 to 10 a.m., because there's a certain seventh grader I have to drop off at uh, Otter Creek Middle School who's now going to be an eighth grader, right? But for the summer months, I know a lot of you start work at eight, and so that time just has not worked. It just has not been available to you. And so starting tomorrow and through July, it'll be from 6.30 to 8 a.m. Uh, where that all be there. And so um, hopefully that opens it up to some of you that, that haven't been able to take advantage of that yet, if you so desire. If you don't, I'll just sit there and do some work, all right? So uh, it's a pressure-free invite, and hope to see you out there if you'd like to make it. But I want to thank you all for being here, and I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we uh, get into this sermon. Father, we're grateful uh, for the opportunity to, to gather together as your church and your body this morning. We're thankful uh, for each and every person who's here and has joined us online and for what you've already done uh, through your worship and through communion, uh, Lord, that amazing uh, gift that you gave us to observe, and, 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 and I know um, that, that, that you are already at work, and so I pray that that will just simply continue, that as we look at your word, as we look at what it says, as we contemplate what it means for us, um, I pray that you would be the one uh, that speaks loudest and most clearly, and that you would be the one that gets the glory, and we pray this in Jesus' powerful name, amen. <clears throat> So we've been in the book of 2 Timothy since January, all right? And I hope, I hope that you've enjoyed the study, but you've probably noticed, like I have, that the section that we've been in lately has been pretty difficult, right? Because starting in chapter 2 and verse 14, uh, it, it kind of, the, the letter takes a shift where Paul begins writing to Timothy about how to deal with difficult people and false teachers. And the reason is, if you remember, right, we've mentioned this to you several times, that uh, Paul and Timothy had been traveling together, and when they got to Ephesus, they found the church in such shambles that Paul established Timothy as uh, head elder, as pastor of the church, and it was his job to clean up the mess. And then he went on to other cities, and he wrote back to Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, uh, letters about how to handle this. But starting here in chapter 3, and a little bit of chapter 2, Paul's message hasn't been just about what was happening at that moment in Ephesus. He also slides into to, uh, more prophecy as to about, about what is to come in the future. And so he's been going back and forth between what Timothy is facing when he wrote the letter and then being more prophetic about things that will come even past Timothy's time. And sadly, it's been really telling and profound because we can easily see as we read these passages that what Paul foretold is definitely happening now. Just in chapter 3 alone, right, he says the time is coming where people are going to be lovers of self and lovers of money and lovers of pleasure more than they're lovers of God. That, that even within the church, right, people claim the name of Jesus, they'll have a veneer of godliness, but none of its power. And then there, there'll be false teachers who will worm their way into the church and take advantage of gullible people. And in today's passage, he's telling Timothy that the deception is just going to get worse and worse and worse. And so... I thought it would be good this morning to 
play a clip at the start of the sermon that we can see how everything Paul is foretelling is actually coming true in our day, in our age, in our context right now. And so you can take a look at this. Go ahead and roll it, Troy. By the way, we cut that off. That went on for minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes longer, okay? And I cannot tell you how little I enjoyed that for two reasons, okay? It's, this is not my heart for ministry and not my heart for this place. To ever, I didn't ever want to be the place that criticizes other ministries. I believe fully that no church is perfect, and so we are not. 
including our pastor. And so our focus needs to be on our own sins and our own weaknesses and our own failings. But secondly, that just makes me angry. The longer that kept playing, the angrier I got. When you start hearing people saying that if, you, if you're in a desperate situation, you need a miracle from God, send me money. Right? If you want to become rich, you send me money. That, that is just the height of evilness. And so I was talking to Corinne about last night about how, how little I wanted to play it. And she asked the question, you're probably all thinking, then why are you going to play it? I told her, well, two reasons. Number one, I don't think exposing that for what it is actually falls into the category of criticizing another genuine Christian ministry because those people are charlatans dressed up as ministers. They're not in it for Jesus. They're not in it to help others. They're only in it for themselves. And it's okay to call it evil as evil. That's fine. And secondly, is a perfect representation of everything that Paul is warning Timothy about in this passage, about the deception, about taking advantage of people, about twisting truth. It's all there. It's all open. Now, I don't think, I really don't think that many of you are at risk for falling for the prosperity gospel, or else you'd be really bad at choosing a church. Because if, you, if you're here to hear the message that, that God is going to give you health, wealth, and prosperity, you've chosen a really bad place to be. But there's a more subtle message out there that is increasing in popularity, and one I think that we should inspect a little more carefully because we might be more susceptible to it. And the idea is basically this. Believe in Jesus Christ, and he will make everything better. Sounds good, right? I mean, doesn't Jesus make everything better? Well, he does, but his definition of better might be different than what your definition or my definition would be. And we need to be honest and upfront about it. There are, there are a few things that are obviously true in God's word. Number one, obeying God's design greatly reduces self-inflicted wounds. Right? There, there are a lot of times that God's judgment that I experience in this life is him just letting our decisions play out to their fullest consequences without intervening. And if we don't follow God's design, we disobey his word, then he's just going to let those consequences come home to roost, and they are felt. And if we follow God's design and we line up in obedience to his word, we're going to have way less negative consequences in our life. Number two, Jesus does bestow on us tremendous blessings, his grace, his forgiveness, our eternal standing with him, the peace that passes understanding more and more and more. In fact, Ephesians 1 puts it this way, that blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, and here's the phrase, with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing that there is in Jesus Christ. These spiritual blessings are tremendous. They are better and more lasting than other blessings, but they're not material, and they're not physical, and they're not financial. They're spiritual. Now, does God give material and physical and financial blessings to his people? Sure, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But he makes no such guarantees in his word that it will come to every one of them. Why? Because he knows that sometimes it requires the opposite of those things for people to get what they really need, which is faith in Jesus Christ. Which is why what you saw in that clip does not vibe at all with what we find in the New Testament. And there's a really simple explanation for that. Because it doesn't vibe at all with the lives of the authors of the New Testament. Paul, who wrote 2 Timothy that we've been studying, he was beaten and arrested and shipwrecked three times and whipped five times. He was stoned and jailed and then executed for following Jesus. Does that sound like everything got better? 
Peter was flogged and arrested and jailed. He escaped death on multiple occasions before he was finally crucified. John was thrown into a pot of boiling oil designed to kill him. And when he survived, he was exiled into isolation on an island. James was thrown off the roof of the temple to kill him. And when it didn't kill him, a crowd surrounded him, asked him to recant his faith. And when he didn't, they beat him to death with rods. None of these men had a crisis of faith, not one. Because Jesus told them this was coming. And their hope was in the life to come. It wasn't that they would have their best life now. It was that they would have their best life later. And so the idea that a life of ease and prosperity and comfort and convenience and health is guaranteed for you in Jesus Christ just simply is not in the Bible because none of the authors experience any of that. In fact, you read them, it sounds a whole lot more like this. Follow Jesus, things could get really bad. Things could get really hard. But it's so worth it because Jesus will redeem it all in the end. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I, I want us to consider as a church and in, as individuals how it is that we actually approach God. I want us to think about it and really think, have we even begun to believe the lie that somehow God owes us a good, safe, comfortable, easy life here? And then ask if our faith and commitment to Jesus has ever actually cost us anything. So I'm going to invite Ruth Peelman up to read today's passage for you. She's going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 12 to the first half of verse 14. And if you are physically capable, would you please stand with her to honor the reading of God's word this morning? Morning, Ruth. Awesome. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Please keep your Bibles open right there uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We, last week, if you were here, we got through verse 11, uh, which is why we're starting verse 12 today. In verse 11, uh, just to remind you of what we're building off of, uh, Paul reminds Timothy in verse 11 of, of these instances of persecution that Timothy firsthand saw Paul observe. He was there when they happened. He watched them. And he follows that up with even more good news in verse 12 that Ruth read for us when he tells Timothy, in fact, all, right, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the first thing that I want to pull out this morning is that the persecutions will come. And this idea wouldn't have been hard for Timothy to grasp, right? It would have been, in fact, it would have been undeniable. He had seen it happen to Paul. He'd seen it happening all around him. And Paul is telling him right here, guess what? It's going to happen to you. And later in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, we read that Timothy has just been released from prison. That tells us that later in life, after this letter, Timothy is arrested and jailed and then released. And church history tells us that Timothy dies in the city of Ephesus because of persecution. And so Paul's message here is, Timothy, this happened to me. It's going to happen to you, and it's just going to keep escalating. Not a huge encouragement, but it is a preparation because nobody likes suffering, but you're more ready for it when you know it's coming. Right, but what about the bigger picture here? Right, let's look at the verse again and just consider the language. Verse 12. He says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that word all is the one that people like to zero in on. When he says all who want to live a godly life will be persecuted, was that a cultural statement for his day and age? Or was Paul saying a fact that applies to all times everywhere? 
And I bring this up because I've had a couple of genuine followers of Jesus who actually have come to me, come to me in my office, and they've been wrestling with this verse. And, and, and they've been wrestling with it because they've lived their entire lives in America, in a land with freedom of religion, and, and they don't feel like they've ever faced persecution. And their question is, their fear is this, does that mean I'm actually not living a godly life? It's a genuine struggle for them. Now, I'll tell you what I told them. I don't think the point of this passage is guilt. I don't, I don't know the wisdom of trying to split hairs over which context it applies to or doesn't apply to. I think the best approach is simply to take it at its simplest, clearest meaning, which is this, that if you try to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, pushback is coming. It's coming. There might be varying degrees based on where you live, but pushback is coming. And this is something that Jesus said would happen too. In John 15, he's talking to his followers. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It's the same message that Paul is giving Timothy. I don't want us to take out like a persecution scorecard this morning, right? Because everybody in this room today, right, what we face is incredibly minimal compared to what some of our brothers and sisters around the world are currently facing right now. We are not under the threat of arrest. We're not under the threat of censorship or beating or death. In fact, all you have to do, here's here's one argument, all you have to do is look at what we fight about in church, all you do is look at disputes in churches and sticking points, and you'll know that in American churches, we don't face much cost. Because what we get worked up about is worship style or worship pace. We get worked up about room temperatures or times when things are offered or, or how things are convenient or inconvenient or more. Our concerns, the very disputes we have, show the lack of cost connected to our faith. But I'll tell you why I think this is starting to go away. It's because on this front... Our younger generations are leading the way because it's our students that are feeling this most aggressively. We're going to get to verse 14 in a couple of minutes, but he tells Timothy in verse 14 to simply continue in what you have learned and what you firmly believed. And if you think that you can follow Jesus and stand for his word and firmly believe in his design and his truth and not experience any pushback for that, then you should walk a mile in a young person's shoes on these campuses or in these hallways should see or read or hear the messaging on the internet on social media. That's not their experience. We don't face widespread danger in our persecution, but the day is gone when pursuing Christ and honoring his word and design will be celebrated, encouraged, or even just not condemned. And it's time we wake up to the reality of that. Not just for ourselves, but so that the entire church can be prayerful, supportive, and encouraging to our younger members. Maybe you can use this knowledge to lift up the students in this place and even think about how God may want to use you to invest in their lives. This persecution will come. Secondly, he's told here that deception will increase. You see, it's not just that the pressure and threat will come from outside the church towards the church. It's that within the church, deception will continue to grow. Look at verse 13. He writes, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Did you notice one of the the, sort of the verbal tricks that was repeated throughout that clip we played at the start of the sermon? Where they say things like this. You know, the Bible says, or the scriptures say, or God tells us, but that's all they say, right? They never mention any book. They never mention any chapter. They never mention any verse. 
People are never told to turn there. They're never told to read it in context, right? This is why we tell you book, chapter, and verse. This is why we tell you page number. It's why we go through books together because we want to present God's word to you in the fullness of his context so that it cannot be twisted and it cannot be mishandled and cannot be manipulated but seen clearly for all. Because what is constantly happening is people are saying things that sound just enough right. It's just right enough that it puts you in a position where you're like, I don't know if I want to argue that, but it's also just patently not true. Because this is the playbook when it comes to deception. It has to look and sound like truth enough to not be noticed. They cannot state just outright falsies. It has to sound like truth enough to get it to slide by. And the reason it's going to get worse, Paul says right here, it's going to get worse, is because of two things. And the first we've talked about a lot in recent weeks is just the progressive nature of sin. Sin's greedy. And so not only will those who are, de- who are deceiving, desiring more and more power and influence and money and prestige, but audiences will grow more and more willing to be told what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. He's going to get to that in chapter 4. And so it's a simple rule of economy. As demand increases, so will supply. And secondly, it's the only thing the enemy knows how to do. This is what Jesus says in John 8 of the devil. He says, you are, he's talking to the people who do not believe in him. He says, you are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father lies. Do you hear those things? There is no truth in him. When he lies, it's just flowing straight from his nature because he's a liar and the father lies. Make no mistake about it, the source of all deception is the kingdom of darkness. And yet, do you remember what Satan used when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness? What do you, he, he quoted from Scripture. Now, it didn't work, obviously, because Jesus wrote it. He inspired it, so he knew the context and proper application. But that should be a warning sign to all of us. That just because someone references the name Jesus, just because someone says the Bible says or quotes, I love it when the scriptures say, does not guarantee that what they're saying is truthful. Which is frustrating, but it's a great buildup to next week's passage and next week's sermon, which I'll foreshadow now by just telling you that the idea will be this, that you cannot spot a lie if you don't know what the truth looks like. You cannot hear deception if you don't know what truth sounds like. We need to be students of truth. We need to be students of God's word because deception is only going to get worse. They're only going to get more clever. Now, that's enough depressing news for one morning. Here's what I really want you to see from this passage. Okay, so let's set it up. So far in chapter 3, Paul has told Timothy things are only going to get worse, right? There's going to be misplaced love that makes its way into the church. There are going to be swindlers who are going to take advantage of gullible people. There's going to be persecution that is guaranteed and will intensify. And deception and false teaching are going to increase. So you can see that the opposition stacking up higher and higher. And now he's going to tell Timothy how to respond to all this. So surely he's got some brand new ministry strategy, right? A new tactic, a new response, a new way to counteract all these new threats. As a brilliant strategist, surely Paul has new direction for Timothy in ministry, right? Look what he says in verse 14. He says, but as for you, and hopefully you've seen this in the letter. Whenever Paul says, but as for you, he's telling Timothy, you're going to be different than what I just told you, Timothy. And here's how he's going to be different. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. All he tells Timothy is this, just stay the course. Just keep at what you're doing. 
And I want the simplicity of that command to just wash relief over you this morning. What is Timothy supposed to do to respond to the ever-piling list of hurdles? What, is, what are we supposed to do in response to the increasing challenges of faith? It's simple. It's what we've always done. Nothing more, nothing less. CSB uses the word continue in verse 14. You know what that Greek word means? It means to simply to remain or to abide. Does that remind you of another passage in the Bible? John 15, Jesus says, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing about me. All throughout this letter, Paul keeps warning Timothy about all these things coming, all these things he's facing, and yet each each time he's dropping in reminders, recall this, remember this, hold to this. He's not bringing him anything new. He's pointing him back to what he already knows. So if you have 2 Timothy open, look at chapter 1, verse 5. He starts the letter by saying, I recall your sincere face, faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. Chapter 1, verse 13, he says, hold on to the pattern. Not create a new pattern. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel. And now in chapter 3, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. He's just pointing him back to the same things over and over and over and over again. Timothy did not need to respond to every falsehood. He did not need to counteract every deception. He did not need to debate every disagreement. He was simply to abide in Jesus Christ and his word. And he was to teach truth and only truth to his congregation. He was to be in the word himself, and he was not to allow anyone or anything to change that. Do you know how exhausting it is to run around and chase down everything that's false out there? And how much simpler it is to say what Joshua did? That as for me and my house, as for me and my group, as for me and my church, as for me and my whatever, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to know truth. We're going to be able to spot deception because we know the truth. And we're not going to let the persecutions of this world and we're not going to let the deceptions of false teachers rob us of our affection for Jesus Christ. We will simply continue on with what he's told us to do. And here's why. Because a lie doesn't become truth and wrong doesn't become right and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by a majority of people. A lie does not become truth, wrong does not become right, and evil does not become good just because it's accepted by a majority. Isn't there such immense freedom in that? Now, as we think through how to take this incredibly simple but powerful teaching of Timothy and apply it to our own lives and context, I have just a couple of short encouragements for you. And the first is this. I'm, I'm going to encourage you to take a cost assessment this morning. Again, I don't want verse 12 to serve only as a guilt heaper, but I do believe that our faith will and should cost us something. There's a time in my life that I didn't hold that idea as strongly, and I look back on it with great shame. And I remember, I remember the day, I still remember the moment that God pulled back the curtain and revealed this to me. Because as I worked through a middle school and early years of high school, Sadly, not standing out, not ruffling feathers, not, become, not being different was sort of my goal for life. And so I learned quickly what was expected from me in every room I was in and every circle I was in. Whenever I was around adults, I behaved uh, well and respectful. Whenever I was at church, I acted worshipful and reverent. Whenever I was with my parents, I was obedient 
mostly, right? Whenever I was around good kids, I acted like a good kid. Whenever I was around a rougher crowd, I adopted their attitudes, their joke, their posture, their language, and all of it. I just knew what was needed in every room. I wasn't seeking to honor God or please God in any way. I was wanting the easiest, most comfortable existence that I could have because being different and drawing attention, especially negative attention, was a cost that I was not willing to pay. And then one day, a fellow student came to my locker, and I don't even, to this day I don't know why. They just asked me point blank if I was a Christian. And I hesitated looking for a way around answering that question, and when I found none, I just said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And our lockers at Cloverdale were assigned alphabetically, and so the girl who had the locker to my right had a locker at this point, had been a locker right to the next to me for three years. And when she heard me answer that, her response was literally this, wait, you're a Christian? Because she was stunned. And that, that response shook me. And it made me think, wait, am I? And I began a process that finally helped me understand what costs I really did need to avoid. There was a cost I needed to avoid. And I discovered it when I came across this verse in Luke 9. When Jesus says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. That verse hurt. But it taught me a valuable lesson that cost avoidance, fitting in, these are terrible goals for life. And I've tried to remember that in adulthood, that comfort and ease are terrible idols to pursue. Jesus understood this. It's why in Matthew 5, he tells us that we should be happy and celebrate when we are mocked and persecuted. And not simply because he's going to reward us, but because cost is actually good when something is worth it. I mean, think about it. My marriage, my family, right? My closest relationships, they, they all, those are all worth costing me something, aren't they? And so shouldn't my faith in Jesus cost me even more? And so the question is this. If, if all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, then the question I want you to wrestle with this morning is what does your faith ever cost you? What does your faith in Jesus ever cost you? What have you given up for him? What have you sacrificed for his church or his mission or his gospel? What have you you volunteered? What have you served? What have you endured in his name? Or has your posture simply been just to take, 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 both from God and from his people, and maybe offering some half-hearted thanks and praise? See, God suffered immensely for us. And so a life of ease and comfort and convenience should not be our main goal as a response to that. Secondly, I want to plead with you as the church to do this. Do not be ignorant of truth. Do not be ignorant of truth. This is, a, this is straight foreshadowing for next week, but it's a great way to respond this week. Because I already mentioned to you how all the false teachers that we saw on the screen this morning, they all mentioned Scripture without referencing it. How, how deceptions was going to have enough truth in it to seem right, even when it isn't right. And so our greatest weapon will always be, our greatest weapon in the fight against deception will always be truth. And those who do not know truth are at the highest risk of being deceived. It's just plain and simple. Which is why we take seriously the idea of going deeper around here. That if your experience with this place is simply just Sunday morning services only, there's a lot that you're leaving off the table. 
And we want to help you with it. We have, we have reading plans that we can share with you and 10,000 more we can find on the internet for you to get you into God's word in your daily life. We have groups ready for you that, that, to let you study and discuss truth with others. We have ministry teams in need of your service and time to help you give back to the God who gave so much for you. And so whenever we mention that going deeper page or we ever talk about taking next steps and you wonder, man, I wonder if they're talking to me. The answer is yes. We're talking to you. Because we don't want anyone to ever stop pursuing Jesus. We don't want anyone to ever stop growing. We don't want anyone to ever stop taking that next step closer to him, the next step deeper in commitment to him. Which is why we set up going deeper as a tool to help you with that. Some of you, it may just be that first like, initial step of faith. Others of you, it might be that first step of obedience and baptism. It could be church membership. It could be that you need to get in a group. It could be that you've been in a group. You need to lead a group. It could be that you need to be on a team. It could be that you need to meet with a pastor, elder for spiritual coaching about how you can go deeper in your faith. All these things are available to you. But for today's context, in today's passage, this is important. You will not be able to recognize deception if you do not know truth. And the deceivers are only getting better. And so the only way to answer this is to know truth. And you must know truth, and that, there are no shortcuts to that. That does not happen without effort. And so commit today that you will become or will continue being a student of this word. That you will read it, that you will know it, that you will discuss it with others, you will discuss it among yourself as a family. And if you even need, you need even the smallest bit of guidance all the way to a ton of help, do not hesitate to ask. It's why we're here. There are no dumb questions. We're here to help you in this. And so, yes, persecution will come. It's happening now and will only increase. Yes, deception will increase and get more widespread. But our response to that, taking Paul's lead here, is not to run in fear. It's not to run around and try to correct everything out there. It's not to be in a panic. It's simply just to continue. It's to abide. It's to keep doing exactly what God told us to do, to keep believing firmly what God has revealed to us as truth, and to keep stoking the flames of our affection for Jesus. By the way, that's sufficient for this life. You do those things, you won't be bored. And God can take care of all the rest in his sovereignty. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that your word does nothing to hide from persecution. It does nothing to hide from suffering. It does nothing to hide from deception and false teaching. Instead, it prepares us for it. And I'm thankful in preparation for it, you gave us your word is such an immense tool, such a gracious gift from you in which you have revealed yourself and revealed truth as found in you to us in full. And so, God, I pray that we would be students of this word in this church, that we would take seriously the call to know truth so that we can spot deception when it's there. And we can withstand persecution because we know whom we have believed. We know that he is able to keep that which we've entrusted to him until that day. So God, would you, would you build in our congregation a deep resolve? Would you build in our congregation an endurance? Would you build in our congregation a commitment that we will know you, that we will know your truth, that we will pursue the things that you've told us to pursue, no matter what pressures come from outside, no matter what deception comes from inside, that we will simply continue in what we have learned and in what we have firmly believed. Lord, would you find that in FBN, and would you start by finding that in each and every one of our hearts? And we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Well, before we wrap up our services today, we want to give you some time just to spend some time with the Lord in prayer.
wrestling with maybe some things he put on your heart in communion, in worship, or in the sermon. This is just your chance uh, to respond to him, so please take advantage of it.